to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. Today's show is brought to you by Planable. Planable Planable.io gives your social media team everything they need to really move their creative process forward. It allows you to preview social media posts as they are live, real time. No more screenshots, mock-ups, spreadsheets. Your clients (laughs) can review content from within the platform. And do you have anything to say about it, Monica? It's a great platform. We've been using it now for a month. I love it. Um, It's a game changer in the content world. I highly suggest it. Yeah, go to Planable, P-L-A-N-A-B-L-E.io to start your free trial today. All right. Welcome, everybody, to this week's influencer guest, Lauren Stewart, live from San Diego. Um, He was the uh, interim West Coast president for the USO. And uh, we were just talking earlier that it's a 79-year-old organization uh, for active uh, duty service members and their families. Uh, He was successfully setting up the USO's new organizational structure in nine Western states from Arizona to Alaska. Uh, In 2020, Lauren assumed a a newly created national role of vice president of board uh, relations for USO Global. And he's recognized as a leader and experienced CEO uh, and has demonstrated a history of working in uh, the for-profit and nonprofit organization management industry. He is skilled in leadership and nonprofit and business organizations, operations management, sales, uh, hospitality, and event management, which is where I think we really hit it off. So welcome, Lauren. Thanks, Dean. Welcome. Yeah, and I don't know if you, if you know um, that I started in hospitality and uh, am still connected to it. And we probably average about 30. We, we met at an event, actually, right? Right. Baseball game. Yeah. So Padres game in the uh, skybox. And, uh, and uh, I, kept, I kept like watching you and you were always talking with somebody. So I knew you were a networker like me. And then I looked over and I was like, I got to get this guy. And then somehow we caught each other. I think you were running back to your skybox. Yep. And we just sat down and talked for the longest time. And I really uh, just had a, a huge appreciation for your journey and how you got here and all the things that you do. So, uh, so thank you for that. Likewise. With your with yeah. your story, it was it was amazing how parallel people can be and yet have never met. Right, right, yeah. So super cool. Um, one of the fascinating things I was reading, sort of some of your fun facts, and we'll get to some of these today. But um, you started in film and theater, correct? So so give us a little rundown of what that was like because you had some pretty you rubbed some elbows with some interesting folks along the way, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it, my journey has been very much. Um, you know, doors open, you go through them, you learn other doors open and you go through them and learn. And there's a strange thread that carries everything together. But starting with theater, um, I was very, very fortunate. And I guess it ties into leadership. But uh, I, you know, had a a very uh, modest childhood and uh, was in high school drama and then ended up doing not going to university and doing some local theater. 
And so when I was doing the local theater, um, I ended up going to an associate's degree and then getting into Santa Clara University. But when I was going out in the field, um, there was a scout from uh, a producer who you, some of you may realize if you're my age, but if you remember, you know, the FBI with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Oh, yeah. Quinn Martin production. Well, Quinn Martin was the guy and he was a producer down in Hollywood, very successful doing that type of model of, of episodic TV. He was kind of uh, a leader in that. And he established a, a scholarship and he ended up paying uh, for my way through university. That's amazing. Theater at University of Santa Clara, a good Jesuit university. And he, he, he said, but whatever you do, he met with me, he says, this is your, you, you can act. And, and I know you want to produce like I do, he said, uh, but take business, whatever you do, take business because you're, you're going to need that through the line. And the rest of the story happened. I ended up doing that uh, meeting with um, actually Patrick Stewart, who was the, you know, later way down the line became very successful. He was working at the Royal Shakespeare Company and he came to Santa Clara, did a master class. I was assigned to him because my last name's Stewart. Wow. And he's Stewart. So I kind of shepherded him around. And the next thing I know, he said, you know, you, you might want to look into the apprenticeship program at the Royal Shakespeare Company in London. Okay. <laughs> and so I auditioned. I went to, I made the cut. Then I went to New York. This is very much like, you know, one of those uh, shows you see on TV now where they have like the voice or something where you make a right. cut. And uh, end up up being the American that year. Um, I think there was one other who had auditioned New York. But uh, I got landed a place at the Royal Shakespeare Company in their apprenticeship program for the Guild. Wow. So for the next six years, I was there. And then, you know, down the line, met with Terry Hans, who started the Royal Shakespeare Company. And that got me into getting a direct, um, uh, an agent. And then I worked as, um, I wanted to do production as well. It was really my, my desire was always to be a producer. And, uh, you know, one way or the other found my way uh, with a casting director who got me into the Royal Shakespeare Company, was also casting a, uh, a role later on for MGM Films and et cetera, and United Artists out here. And so I ended up being in the film out in Hollywood and then getting into that industry. So it's just one at a time, these things that kind of went through. But each one of those milestones was based upon these people who, um, you know, had the desire to help others along the way. And yeah, that's, that's cool. Really and I think, I think there's something to be said um, because that's where I think you and I had parallel um, paths, not necessarily from a film perspective, but I'm going to call it from a mindset, whatever hunger was inside us. Mm -hmm. um, as we saw doors open, for whatever reason, we were hungry to go through those. And I think um, I think uh, that's sometimes a different mindset from a leadership perspective than others that are afraid or unwilling to go through those doors. What do you think about that? I, I think you're right onto something. If you look, if you've had the I've been very fortunate to work with very good leaders over the years, over the decades. And one of those things you see is, well, actually, there's a few common traits that you have with really good leaders. And that's just a tireless drive. <laughs> just keep on going, you know? No, 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 no. It's like the Kirby salesman. Again, I'm dating myself. You, know, you get 20 no's before you get the yes. But you just keep on going and going and going. Um, and and what drives you? Part of that's just your DNA. 
That's yeah. just in your personality. You know, you told me your story and, you know, I like that street smarts and it, yeah. it, you just don't, you don't stand down. You just keep on going. Um, but, but you, if you have a mission and you have a vision, and I think that's really what I didn't have in my earlier years when I was just in theater, I was drifting, which was good. And it was, I got lucky and it all worked out. But in my later years, I started getting really driven by what I said before, helping other people. Right. And if you have a way to put yourself in harm's way with whatever you're doing, put yourself in harm's way to help people every day. When you get up in the morning, and you're, you're achy and you're not thinking I really am, you know, I'm not charged with the mission every day. But if you're just going to work every day, whatever that is, and you're actually doing something that helps people, it makes a big difference. It's a way, great way to live. Live. It also helps you have that tireless drive. The other thing I think throughout all that is you have to, these leaders have a sincere care and a great curiosity about other people. Yeah. And I think that's, that's you in a nutshell. I mean, the very fact that you're doing this, look at where that's taken you. Curious about other people, curious about things, and you have a sincere care. The other thing that I think really differentiates people from being good leaders I mean, leadership happens. You got some people that can lead you off a plank, but you have <laughs> people can, can right. lead you into something that's truly life-changing and important, and that's ethics. And I yeah. think if you're guided by a true moral compass where you're helping other people for the positive, all those things start working together. So tireless drive, sincere care and curiosity, keep your ethics, you know, just keep going towards that moral compass and then the last thing I can say, again, against everything I've, 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 I've learned about these folks is, you know, great leaders can pretend to care, yeah. but you can't pretend being there. Right. You have to be there. And that's the challenge in whatever you do. How can you be everywhere, especially if you're a large organization or a global enterprise, how can you be there? Because most of these leaders I know who are at the top of those organizations or endeavors or enterprises, they would much rather be with the front line than they would be with their, you know, top PhD candidates that are there with them working and in, in dealing with management. They need that, but there are people who really love to be where the rubber meets the road out in the field. So those yeah. I've, I just know, you know, I found those are our traits that happen and, uh, if you go down that path, eventually you start having to be sensitive to those traits and it just keeps you going. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's super cool. And I think, um, I think for mine, both my parents were, were teachers and I caught the bug early about making sure that as I learned, it was important for me to, to share and teach, which is how this whole thing evolved, uh, not just the podcast, but social Jack and the rest. And it's, it's, interesting how um, how I've connected with so many people that feel like mentoring and teaching and coaching are just part of who they are. And you seem like that type of person too, that creates a structure or organization around, um, around that model. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. First of all, a little full disclosure, um, I have great respect for teachers. Yeah. 
my wife is a high school <laughs> teacher uh, and she teaches AP stats and math. And what she goes through every day is a lesson in leadership and, and perseverance and doing, keep on going, you know, after a decade. Right. So I, hats off to you. Um, yeah, I think the teaching issue is a really big, a big one in anything you're doing, especially from a leadership standpoint. Um, I think you have to be deliberate in your, in your leadership plan and, and, uh, you know, I look back at the last 15 years, maybe, of my career, and this goes way beyond theater now. It's in startups. I ran a, um, a for-profit, uh, regional for-profit tourism company for 20 years, um, which is a lot like acting, production. Yeah, right. <laughs> Selling air. You don't really have anything to hold on to except the experience, um, right? Uh but ultimately, what I've been doing in the last 15 years is deliberately working on those special set of skills that you develop over time. Um, and I've been focusing on startups like the Tourism Marketing District. You know, that was a good eight years. Now it's a $40 million organization, $30, $40 million organization. That's a nonprofit. Fix ups, where you take organizations, especially in the nonprofit arena, although I also have done this in the for profit arena. You have to fix them up. And then recently that we're going through here with the USO, a merge up where you're merging yeah. one organization into another, not necessarily an M&A, but it's a merger, but it's merging like organizations. Each one of those, Dean, requires a very deliberate methodology. Part of that is teaching. But before you can teach, you need to learn, you need to listen. Yeah. So you really have to find out before you do an assessment, just like going into the battleground, right? You plan your tactics. And one of the most important things, I think, in the very beginning of all this, before you teach, you have to gain your intel. You have to listen. You take listening tours. You get people together without making any assumptions and try to strip yourself away of your own opinion of what you think might be the right way to go. You listen from the people who are out there in the field. The good. The Wait. Bad. So, so what's a listening tour? So, a listening tour. I'll just. I just did one of these when I started with the Western Region President of the USO. So we have multiple uh, USO centers up and down this region. So that was from Alaska, as you said before, down to Arizona. We had operations. Some of them were old charter operations that were uh, standalone 501c3s with their own board of directors. And the other half were uh, company shops. They were USO centers that did not have board of directors. They had some community people. When I took that over uh, to try to merge these together into the new organization and into the new structure, I mean, you can go by the book and just say, this is what we're going to do. This is right. the new rule book and just go ahead and do it. You could overlay that. I don't think you get buy-in. I don't think you would be um, leading because you're not, you're taking away what the very essence of this whole program is about is you need to have influence. Yep. You need to use this influence so that they become the influencers for their community. They need to catch the fire of why we would want to do this. And, and that teaching is almost a matter of trying to ignite the fire in other people so they can also go, wow, that was great. I like this. So you have to have the aha moments. And so the way, the only way you can do that is know your audience. 
And by doing that, instead of just going from a webinar like this, I decided you have to do a listening tour. So I initiated this listening tour, which was making appointments, taking people who were with me, I took someone who every one of those managers knew, and I went on a tour and I went to every, physically went to every one of the operations, met with the leaders, talked about the engagement. And, and that presence of being there not only was good show, but it also provided me an opportunity to really listen to what their needs were. So I had a very, very simple list of, you know, what do you need? Where are you? Tell me about all the good things that you've been doing. And what you end up doing is you get this intel del deliberately of where every one of the organizations is as a snapshot in that time. Then the question is, well, what's common? I mean, you can't do everything for everyone. Right. What can you do? So you start looking at the commonality. And in some cases, they're people, organizations. So you then call out those organizations and people. And then you make small groups of them. So then I made a follow-up to talk to those individuals and people, developing a plan so that when you finally engage how you're going to bring everyone together, what you're going to do, where the way forward is, uh, how your budget's going to be made in this case, you know, what your projects are going to be, how many people you need to hire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those all came organically out of the listening tour. So instead of coming down and saying, here you go, this is the new plan, that happened, <laughs> right. but it happened with everyone's input. And each one, I would hope, I would, don't want to speak for them, would be able to see a little bit of their DNA and their input in that. And again, it gets back to the old adage, if you people will help support really uh, strongly if they know that they were part of the uh, process of developing the idea in the first place. No, that's 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 awesome. And I think um, I think there's something uh, to be said uh, that that contributes to, a, especially when there's change going on to a healthier culture. You know, so as we think about the shift, like if people feel like they're all in or they're part of that change or or that that next thing that's happening or that emergence, if you will, um, I think um, they're invested, right? I mean, that has to do good for the overall feeling of the culture. Yeah, and and it it opens the door. It starts. It spring. You know, it it starts you on the journey together as well, because nothing's static. I think the any success is all based on people. Right. And you have to have analytics and you have to, but again, it gets back to that leadership and you have to be there, but you also want to instill leadership in your line managers. You want to instill leadership into your front line. I mean, one of the best compliments I ever had when I was running the tour, tour company is I had this tour driver and, uh, and I had a comment card come through and he thought that the tour driver, not for misrepresentation, he actually said, I know this guy. He's one of the owners. <laughs> the frontline tour driver cared about the organization so much and where it was going, literally where it was going, that the audience, his customers, our customers, thought that was part of the ownership of the organization. <laughs> I was like, that's a score. If I could have every, wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone out there um, thought that the, these people were doing, you know, undercover boss or something at any given time that they were actually the owner of a company or had interest in the company. Because every everybody has interest in the organizations they're working in, whether they like it or not. It doesn't have to be stock or stock options or shares. You have an investment in that. You're not there for love. <laughs> right. You're there to do a job.
That's it. That's interesting. I actually have to, I'm giving a talk next week and, and I talk about ownership in my book. And, and if you're going to really be a business influencer or embrace your thought leadership, you really have to take ownership. And, and I actually, uh, I actually titled it, you know, taking ownership of your, you know, of, you know, owning your thought leadership, which I, I don't think a lot of people realize the power that they have or, or decide to own the power and how are they going to apply that power to moving to, to emerging. Right. Right. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of folks I see, again, fortunate to be in industries that allow or are plastic enough to allow this, but whenever you see a person that's great, a really good worker, great ethics, everything we just talked about is, you know, a potential leader, but they may be in the organization that's not, they're just, they're doing a great job because they're excellent at that skill set. But as a leader, you know, there's just so much more there. There's more potential. In those rare cases, and if you have an organization that's plastic enough, like I said, to do this, one of the things I like to, or it, it, like conversations I like to have with those folks is, you know, if you don't like what you're doing within this construct of the organization, why don't you fire yourself mentally in the job you're doing and rehire yourself within the same organization, within the same parameters, at, you know, within reason to the job you really have passion for. And sometimes it's just the smallest little fine tuning that makes the difference between a person being in a job they hate and they look at as a prison to being their ideal job. And true, the grass is never greener. It could be another company with a better benefits package. But often if people have invested two or three years in an organization or longer, you really should try to find the fine tuning to find just the right slot because good people will take your organization you know, to outer space. They'll just kick it. They just have to get reignited in that power. And sometimes it can be the smallest little thing that gets in the way. And as leaders, managers, owners, you have to figure out what that is. You have, again, that gets back to that curiosity about people. Um, and the handful of times that that works makes it really worth it. Yeah, that's cool. I'm I'm sort of <clears throat> I'm I'm curious because uh, you know as part of who I am, I in, you know invest and invested in community theater and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a late in life decision because uh, Jackson, my son, got an early role as uh, Ralphie in a Christmas Story in this community theater, and I didn't know what it was like, and I wanted to help, and I'm like, you know, they're not running it like a business because you know how theaters are, right? And so I had this desire, and, and I really took an appreciation for the art, and then my daughter uh, followed in the footsteps and um, is also in theater, so we're a very theater-enriched family. In fact, uh, for those of you listening, uh, I have a friend who has talked me into the first time since middle school going to, uh, I'm going to be in a performance in community theater in April, uh, and I'm scared to death. So talk about embracing your fear, right, and change. What's so, the show uh, and what's the part? It's a murder mystery thing, restaurant, taking place in a restaurant or hospitality background comes in, so... So anyway, so uh, I'll fill you in, I'll fill you in after the show, but I was like... I said yes, and then I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. How am I going to do this?" But so, so what I'm I'm curious about for you is um, how does how does the experience in film and theater and and that part of your life transition 
to assist you in leadership. I'm, I'm just curious about how you see that playing a role or how that, how that works. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple, couple of things. Um, one, a direct response was in the tourism industry, and I'll go back to that. Uh, we're actually created an, uh, a process of doing our kind of rethinking how we did uh, the tourism role. And I'll talk about that. Um, but I, I go back to something even bigger, and that was um, in theater, you're dealing with the time of crisis, usually with characters. I mean, it's kind of boring to see a play that has no crisis. Right. Actually, you're usually catching, you know, any character or a group of characters at the apex of their angst and how they get through it, how they go through it, the human element. Um, one frames off in some cases that the biggest problem I had yesterday is not as big as that. Um, <laughs> right. It also gives you an opportunity to alienate some of these ideas that you have and see it happening in other people in period costume or, you know, whatever. It's just different. People enjoy that. Right. <laughs> people like to observe other people having angst. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we you watch know. movies and theater, That's right? right? <laughs> and the bigger, the better. Right. right? It puts everything in fragment. But if you go back as a performer, um, you know, if you look at comedy, the reason why people are funny is because they're so serious in their pursuit. Put in the wrong, in a different context, it makes it funny. It's not they're playing funny, they're playing real. Right. And I think if you look at any character, the one thing that you, that I always found in not only teaching, but in practice, was try to find in your character, even if it's the most evil character, especially if it's the most evil character, ask yourself this question, where is the love? Where's the love? Usually a person who's playing evil is only that way because they want love. Their, their whole drive, it just is twisted in the way this poor individual is going about trying to get love. Well, it's like the Grinch story, right? I mean, that's probably- It's the, all about love and yeah. the big part, right? I find that in any business, in any venture, in anything you do, especially again, when you're dealing with leading people, you could talk about the outside and the trappings and, you know, a quote from a book, like I quote, we and I were quoting books before. Those are all great. But the real answer is when you're leading people, it's, you have to, you know, what is driving those people moving forward? What is it that really goes forward? And if you can, again, find out where is the love in an organization, you can strip away what the real mission of that organization is. And I'm, I'm really thinking now of USO, you know, what is that mission? How can we help um, active duty military and their families? So you can look at from the outside of all these programs, or you can go back and ask today in today's world, what does a person who's flying a drone need as opposed to, you know, uh, a Navy person of 1941. I mean, you have to go back and find out what they need. Where is the issue? What is the love? What do they need? And once you can find out that, then you know what you need to give, how you can how you can work on it. So I think theater is very important because it keeps, and, and answer your question, <laughs> theater is important because it, you're always aware that what you're dealing with in management or leadership, you're dealing with people. You're not dealing with just technique 
you're dealing with people. Yeah. People who are looking for love and having wanting to have peace and uh, do the right thing. So you want to help them do that. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when Jackson got into improv, and then I got to meet some of the people on the business side of improv here in Chicago at Second City, and then just oh, wow. understanding how much of how much of that applies in business, and and then I you know realized, and I had heard that they all had business schools and things like that, and and that's why I'm always I'm always I think I'm even more fascinated with theater and improv and things like that, and how much it plays into embracing our fear and and things like that and overcoming obstacles and you know just like I told you I'm afraid because I historically don't memorize lines well or never did and I'm a storyteller but I frame out the story and I go in a lot of different directions (laughs) based on storytelling not based on a script so um, but it's interesting how that you know both sides can play there so it's a process. And, you know, on, on following up on the other side with a practical use of theater, it, this was just an example coming into the tour company. It was you, you're driving a vehicle, you're driving a trolley, which is a, a bus trolley, and you're giving a story. So you're telling a story. While right. You're driving, yes. Right. So you're doing this. And uh, when I first came in, I noticed you have in California, you need a California driver's license and, and a commercial driver's license to drive over so many people. So you need to have a commercial driver's license. It's so typical wisdom. You have a company that had gone out and hired people with commercial driver's licenses. That wasn't actually the job. You need people to drive safely. But where did we get people who had commercial driver's license? A lot of them did not have any desire or love of trying to help people have a good vacation. They just like driving from point A to point B and weren't right. used to having people like uh, in the vehicle. Okay. So you had sanitation engineers, garbage truck drivers, you had school bus drivers and things like this. As a result, you ended up having all these negative comment cards uh, because the driving was okay, but what about the story? So anyway, long story short, we ended up going, well, what is the real need here for this company? And it was great storytelling. And that's what you do in theater. That's what you do all over. You do if you're in radio. And so I thought, well, why don't we install... um, an operation where we actually have a script writer. So there's a script, so it's consistent. And let's have auditions. So oh, we wow. have auditions yeah, for cool. our tour guides and our bus drivers. You had to have a clean driving record. And then we put you through a AAA driving instructor test, which by the way, made very, the height, the safety went up because they didn't have any bad habits. They had developed over 20 years of driving school buses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But more importantly, you were getting a bunch of people who just couldn't help, but want to tell a story and give a tour. And so there's a really good opportunity of, again, identifying what the real job was and then marrying a process up that just happened to be, you know, using the experience from theater. But I think that's important in any job. Find out what the real job is and make sure you have the right people doing the job up front. Well, and it's funny because part of uh, thought leadership and and business influence and building that. And I, I dedicated a whole chapter to this. And, and now I'm seeing it more fortune 500 companies than I've ever seen is really teaching people that art of storytelling, which originally came from theater. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just amazing to see, not just, uh, you know, in the, in the tourism space, but as we, as we work with uh, CEOs and, and executives and, and, and others that, that it's the true art of, uh, storytelling that has brought the given human, you know, sort of that human element to the brand, if you will. 
You know, it's so important. If you look back, and I would say most of the CEOs you have, a lot of the higher managers, if you really look at what your job is, entails, a lot of that is storytelling. It's telling the story of your company right. to your shareholders. It's telling the story of your company to your advocates and to your you know, detractors, to the media. Media training is very important because yeah. today, even doing what we're doing now, this isn't traditional media, but this is the way um, a lot of companies are conducting their business. And if you see how that's able to connect the world, uh, having that media training, having the ability to tell a story in a succinct way, uh, and having a, a, an ability to engage your audience. Uh, if you're a CEO to a bunch of shareholders, you need to engage that audience. They need to understand not just the numbers, they need to understand the delivery of that. Again, it's leadership. They want to follow you. Yes. And so the better leadership, and I think I see the thing, I see uh, courses of, of storytelling now that are happening. And in fact, there are companies, right? The one you introduced me to at the Padres. There's a whole industry that's coming up of professional storytellers that then are applied to anything but often to business and to business models. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of my, I'll give a shout out to my friend, uh, Mary Rodriguez. She started off in social media at Microsoft and now she's head of storytelling for Microsoft. And so they have this whole department initiative and, and this is the trend that we're seeing where she actually helped uh, train the engineers that builds the software that we all use uh, of how to tell their story, uh, not just in their job, but in life, uh, just like we're doing now. Right. Uh, but, but how do you tell that story and bring them to life? And now all of a sudden there's humans at Microsoft. It's not just a bunch of things you click on on your computer and it's, it's really changed the way things work. Yeah, and I think interactive storytelling is the next one. Rather than a talking head, how can you engage interaction? How can right. you then have the audience as part of the a part of the story? Come along on the journey, but you're along. And I think this technology that we have now is allowing us to do more and more of that. So it'll be very exciting to see in the next five, 10 years, the disruption that's going to happen in your regular storytelling techniques. Um, I think it'll be, it, it, it's, it's, it's an exciting time to... Uh, it's, uh, you talk about the technology. It's funny when we first, uh, I've been doing webcasts since the beginning of time of webcasts. And so when we first had, when I had my .com, we actually had to build out uh, a facility with a studio and soundproofing rooms and all this technology, raise capital, and we would fly people in to broadcast out because there was no capability, no cloud per se that was publicly accessed, things like that. So it's just interesting how far we've come where, you know, we can really, uh, really take our thought leadership and our influence further out, you know, with today's technology. So mm -hmm. and I think it'll make us better. It'll, it'll be better for the marketplace. Uh, by doing this, you're going to be able to share more of the thought, uh, more of the directions. Instead of having to go and do focus groups, you'll probably be able to have those immediate focus groups just by having a conversation like this. Imagine, you know, a, a, a top level uh, uh, leadership conversation within an organization with some employees listening in, but also with the positive ability managed properly to be able to have input thoughts. We're trying that now. Um, the CEO of USO is very visionary in that way and has kept open a lot. Of, it takes a lot of courage, right, to open everything up. Uh, but it, it works very well because by and large, people feel that they have an opportunity to 
to input. And then you have to actively try to extract and make it safe. This is a safe place. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> be honest. And <laughs> we want you to be honest. And we want you to be able to tell us what we need to do. What do you need? Because a huge listening tour. It's just using the technology we have to listen to what you need to do. That's cool. So, you know, one of the things we talk about is that really great leaders, um, you know, exercise what we call the power of authenticity, being authentic and genuine. And, and sometimes vulnerabilities come in there. And we've seen that happen more and more over the last decade, where before it was this persona and be careful what you say and stay in this box and and be very, you know, and it seems like, um, at least from my perspective, but I'd be curious from yours, that in today's world of leadership, we now see more and more, not just not just CEOs, but senior executive of large organizations that are that are really being um, well trained not to perform, but how to how to be authentic and how to externalize that. Can you speak to what you see from your perspective in that? You know, yes. Uh, HR is a very I have great respect for people who are <laughs> HR, <protection>, right? <laughs> especially in this day and age, right? Because the counterpoint is we are at this at this area because of the very real, in some cases, you know, these things were put together in any organization as protective actions for their for their employees and for their health and well-being of their organization. So I think it's important to have the counter of that is because of one or two issues, you start seeing policies being put together and and guardrails, and then the guardrails that are in place become walls and then they become barred and pretty soon you know you're kind of at stalemate to your point i think you still have to have those today but it's also i think understanding in the very beginning when you're leading whatever your team is you're leading to be in business if you're in a role where you're trying to bring people in to do something uh, a task or a, a job you need to let them know in black and white what's expected. Yeah. And so in that way, you have a lot of freedom, right? You can be very honest with what you really need. And this doesn't, this is just examples. You could say at any given time, we have a spectrum of people. And on one side, there are people you can't afford to lose. And on the other side of the spectrum, there are people that, you know, uh, they're probably not indispensable depending on the timing. And that's not right. to them. That's just training. That's in black and white. We, you know, and then my job is to let people know how can you always be in that indispensable side? Because that's what people really want. And, and then you as a as a as a as a um, a manager or leader or owner of a company, you need to provide the tools to your people so they can do the job. And more, you don't want to just give them the, give them the whole paint set, Yeah, right. Other, but tell them this is what you have to do and then give them the opportunity to do more. And then you have to be, you, you have to consistently reward a job well done. And now that's easy. That's easy. Good job. Good job. But if you only do that all the time, you're not really rewarding a, a job well done. Right. Just right. like a parent, you really want to uh, focus in when it's really great and then be very honest in those performance reviews. I always think to your point that the hardest job of a manager, uh, and this comes back to HR, <laughs> is to be the perfect mirror of performance. You don't want to make a person look better than they are. You don't want to make a person look less than they are. You have to be the impartial 
mirror. Right. Now, there are people who look in the mirror and go, I can't stand that mirror. That mirror <laughs> always makes me look skinny, fat, whatever. You know, it's the mirror's fault. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and as a manager, that's your job, right? You're supposed to be the perfect mirror. And if you tell people up front, my job is to be the reflection. Here are the tools. These are the ways we're going to look. I want you to use my role as being this perfect mirror so you can make the adjustments. I can't tie a tie without a mirror still, even after all these decades. So I need the mirror to do the job properly. I need right. the manager in order to do the job properly. The key is, is to be able to have training <laughs> and get the right people in management so that they truly have the care, the curiosity, everything we talked about before, to be able to make sure that that, mirror, that, that, that person uh, is able to do the best job possible. And then, you know, it's just very difficult. And other people, by the way, on the counterpart of that, if that mirror is concave just the right way, I love that mirror. It always makes me <laughs> look so good. And that could be your manager too. You know, it just, right. it's less, it's a lot easier to take the low hanging, uh, the, the easiest path and go, you're great, thanks. Often people don't have these performance reviews. You don't hear the truth until someone is trying to make a point or try to pave a way to exit. I always do the opposite. If you're getting coaching from your manager, that's great. That's awesome, because you're worth it. They want you to be good, so take it that way. And I think that helps soften some of the HR issues because people have the expectations and they know you're consistent. It's that way for everybody, and the organization seems to thrive. And when the organization is thriving, then you let them feel and reap the rewards of the success of the organization. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so with that being said, uh, how much do you, um, you know, I, I know organizations seem to be a little bit all over the place on this, but when it comes to empowering your managers with coaching skills and, mm -hmm. and things like that, is that, is that something that you see as uh, nice to have best practice or do you, do you instill initiatives to make sure that happens? So like, you know, there's coaching programs all right. over the place now, right? That used to be a new thing. And now over the last two decades, it seemed to really be, you know, a lot to, to have out there. We have internal and external coaching. And I think internal coaching is important because you want to walk the walk, talk the talk. You want to establish that. In some cases, it's good. To, I don't know if this is the question, but it's good to have external uh, input purely because they don't have any skin in the game. Right. And they, they you know, sometimes people will listen to that other person because they're not part of, you know, they're not they don't have an impact on me. Um, I think it's so important to. Try to define what success looks like in the organization and with the folks. And I think once that's understood, uh, you then want to make sure people understand, especially if there's a failure. What was the cause of the failure? You always want to look at your successes and you want to make sure you understand why and duplicate that success. You right. also want to look at what if there's a friction or something, what, what is the cause of that? And often it's personality, right? It's personality, dis distinct personalities working in a, in, a, in a team. Right. And you certainly don't want a clone of the same person. That's not good. But you have to have the diversity of all these different people that makes a very rich, great organization. Dealing with all that rich diversity, when I'm talking about personality types, right. uh, it, it is an art and it takes a lot of work. 
And however you do the coaching, it's important uh, to use external, internal, any resource you can have, I think is important as long as it's understood that it works. I always look at these balances and this goes back to my Asian side, uh, but ancient proverb <laughs> that a society is trying to balance three balls in the air. And this goes way back. I, I tried to research where it goes back and I had a book somewhere, I'm trying to find it. But I, it caught me early on in my career. There were three areas in society they were talking about that you want to have balanced at any given time. And that's, you wanna have clarity. So everyone knows exactly what they're supposed to do and what it is. And right. You have to have courage so that you can have the ability to go forward in a, in a positive way. And you have to have humanity. And so it's always the balancing act of these, of these, of these three balls. And we all know different folks when they have different things. You have a person who's very courageous, right? But they're not very clear at what, <laughs> and they're not very humane. Right. So you can get that kind of character in your mind. You also have the person who's extremely clear. I put it in an email. You didn't do it. But they don't have the courage to let, let people know. I'm just going to put it here and just press in and I'm not going to back it up. You have very clear, but not backed up with courage or humanity. Then you have people who are just humane. They're humane. I'm humane. I'm a nice person. I'm just humane. But they have no courage and they have right. no clarity. And again, your team, you really don't know what are they trying to say? And so this, what you want to do is come back and make sure that your team understands you need to be clear. Did you, were you really clear in what the directive was? Did you have the courage to make sure that everybody understood clearly what you meant? And did you do it in a humane way that people could accept and understand? And you'll find whenever with my teams, whenever there's a failure, it usually is one of those uh, areas is deficient. And so we start working on specifically those ways of bringing it up. So then you're focusing people again on oh, that's very cool. specific behavior that you can work on. And nine times out of 10, they'll thank you. People will say, oh, boy, you really, I do need to work on that. You know, so anyway, that seems to work a lot. And, and it seems to work across the, the gambit, whether it's a nonprofit, for-profit, uh, startup, fix-up, or merge-up. It, it seems to work. And also you do that with the boards. So I'm dealing with a lot of nonprofit board of directors. They're not your employees. In some cases, they're your boss. Right. And so how you also are able to understand and say, boy, I don't understand why that person isn't really interacting well with that group. I need this. You look at those three and modulate, and then it also helps you in your approach to that individual um, just so that you can uh, understand what you're dealing with. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really cool, especially uh, adding in that humane. Because um, I was in a conversation a few weeks ago, and uh, somebody that uh, coaches boards um, for a large uh, global organization, they go into public companies typically. I think on his end, and they said that they're seeing this huge shift where boards, you know, historically had looked at anything from, you know, making sure this, you know, it's a, what's affecting the stock price, you know, and it's the numbers and the metrics and all this, mm -hmm. to now they're slicing out some very important initiatives that include uh, taking care of the people. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a huge shift in this. Are you seeing that from your perspective too, where they're more conscious and, yeah. and on that humane part, but obviously not, you know, all about that, but in oh, putting you, that in. Dean, especially in uh, the tourism industry, going back right. to where we started, you know, Analytics are incredibly important 
you have to, especially in the hospitality industry or hotel industry, you have analytics you, on everything from room rate to revenue per, you know, room per available room, rep par. <clears throat> you have all these different metrics, which people need. You need to have those. But you also can't forget what business you're in. <laughs> right. You're in hospitality. <laughs> I mean, you're trying to make people happy. I mean, it's analytic. It's just a great you know, juxtaposition of this. Ah, I just want to have a great vacation, too. It's so analytic, just like the film industry. I mean, let's be honest. How do films get greenlit? I mean, it's all analytics on what people right. are up to a casting type of programming, you know, budgets, uh, what you get are all based upon analytics and what's going to sell and what what's the best. And nothing's for for, you know, certain. But you can't you can't you know, you have to see the force of the trees. You can't just uh, base yourself on analytics to your. Yeah, point. right. You have to continually some I don't want to say submerge yourself, but raise yourself out of the comfort of numbers, which you have to have. But get yourself out of that. And understand that basically whatever we're doing, uh, especially in those industries, are based on humanity and and uh, understanding what's important to people. Uh, and I think as you go further, especially with all the noise in the world, you know, everyone's yeah. moving at so fast a pace that anything that can touch on something of relevance and meaning, um, it's even more important. And I think it will be even more important as we go forward. It's just yeah, time. That's- yeah, right. That's huge. Um, I I wanted to acknowledge too, as uh, I didn't realize when we were talking, but uh, you were uh, uh, acknowledged as San Diego's 500 influential business leaders. So I wanted to congratulate you on that. That's um, I feel uh, honored to have you as part of my team, if you will. To say I could actually go to you and ask you any leadership questions. So. So the the leadership, I think, as we begin to wrap up here, is the one thing I think about is, you know, if as you, you know, because you've learned a lot of lessons coming to this moment of your career, you know, and you've led uh, some amazing large uh, groups and organizations, but you know, you, you've come through the ranks, if you will. Um, what are a couple of of, of principles, uh, and maybe it's just reiterating some of these things that you did, but maybe that people could walk away from and say, uh, that's something I want to work on. You know, things that you think that are important to be a good leader, and, and what are a couple of those things that you think are important? So first, I'll qualify the 500 most influential leaders, and uh, I will tell you the true story. When the editor, who's a, actually, I knew him, he was in my leadership group. Uh, when he called me to get my thing, I actually told him this. I said, if if you're putting Lauren Stewart in 500 liters, you must be really at the bottom of the barrel. Isn't it funny how we put ourselves down, though, when said, we get selected you're for something? If you're putting me in that thing, you must be scraping. But anyway, it was it was pretty funny. He, he laughed, we, we had a good laugh about that. I would say um, the best thing about leadership is be aware. Be a constant have it as a, as a driver for yourself, that curiosity to be the best you can be, and, and try to find the spark in you that drives you forward to be a great leader and to make a difference in per- people's lives and the people in your team and outside of your team. Um, Terry Hands, I go back to Royal Shakespeare Company. After we had been, you know, a, hand of, a handful of us had made it through to the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, and then after three years, you get cut every year, you get more and more people cut. So at the end, you only have like a handful of people. And I would, Again, I out of the blue, I think it's because I was half Asian and American. I didn't look like anybody else there. So I, I was still there, but I got an agent. I got my stuff. 
And so, you know, you're feeling pretty pumped up. You've got, you, you, you know, you got agents, you're auditioning, you got people, you made the cut. And the head of the Royal Shakespeare Company, one of the heads, one of the starters was a guy named Terry Hands. So he was really, that group were the people that got Stratford-upon-Avon and going. And so a few of us got together in this little group with Terry at the end and we were like, okay, we've done this and this and this and this. We got all the performance, we got agents and everything. What's next? How, where do we go next? What do we do next? And he said something that, that really was it talk about influence. It, it kicked me out into where I am today. And he said to all of us, he goes, now that you got all the technique and you got all the smarts, you got to go out and you have to live. He goes, get yourself on a boat, forget acting, forget production and put some experiences out there. Because until you do that, you're not authentic. You won't be real. And you, if you're acting, you have nothing to reflect the truth unless yeah, you're cool. out there and lived. And I would say that's the same thing in management and leadership and everything. The more you go out there, you may have your master's or PhD in leadership, but unless you've gone out there, experienced it, opened yourself up to all the mentors and all the way that other people are doing it, you look at the people who have brought you and be thankful and grateful for those that have opened up a little tiny window to help you. Look at those techniques, dissect why, find out ways that you can push the envelope to be even better at what you're doing now and live, go out there, manage, lead on. And that journey can be a very exciting way, um, not only to manage. And of course, none of us are talking about, you know, how much you make. It's just your life is going to be much more enriched and you're going to look back at life and hopefully and say, I helped, I helped some people. That's just like my teacher wife. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's cool. I, um, yeah, those are, uh, those are, those are awesome. And it's funny because it's those life experiences. Like you said, it's almost uh, provides that contrast. If you've never done, you know, things or had that variety, it's, it's, it's almost like you're missing that developmental bone in your body to, to carry things to the next level. You know, I will say, I know we're getting up to the end here, but I, I do want to make a point, And that's something else that I've been very fortunate in my career to, to be in a position where having to work, you know, we all have a different level. I've always, you know, a very low <laughs> threshold of survival. So I don't, I can, I don't, you know, I mean, a, luck, a very fortunate place to make some active choices by, by decision. Um, there's also another book that, you know, a proverb of the fish, you know, the fish yeah. going upstream, spending all the time moving and, and trying to go upstream so it can continue to feed in the same little area because it knows that that area is safe. But eventually it feeds out and, 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 and yet all this energy is spent on this fish because it kind of going upstream, spending all the time trying to eat and just eat at that one place. If you ever get a chance to be fortunate in your life or, or maybe it's by process where that dries up or whatever happens, you just let go and you start going down with the stream, go with the flow. You're going to go to different pockets, different organizations, different opportunities that give you a much wider facet, a much different um, and I think a richer fabric uh, in the quilter you're you're crocheting through your life. Uh, It takes a little courage to let go of where you feel safe. But I've now in that position and you and I talked about this. I really enjoy this opportunity of going in, 
bringing all your heat, working, fixing, yeah, moving it on, helping people get to that point, and then letting go and watch it and then go to the next little area that there is. And learning along the way, that experience becomes something. So either that was done because you actively let go, <laughs> or maybe it's done because you had no choice. Yeah, right. Embrace that opportunity to look for the next new thing, but don't get rid of where you are. Don't reimagine yourself. Take everything you've had before and 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 try to bring that to your next uh, your next chapter. So it's 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 a it's again very exciting and a little scary. Yeah, but it's also very exciting with the people you meet and the things you get to do. Yeah, like jumping in a community theater after 40 years, right? That's right. I want to know who done it. <laughs> Me too. I haven't gotten to that part of the script. But uh, so uh, so I want to thank you so much. This has been amazing. I always learn so much when we talk. And, uh, and like I said, I'm coming your way. So I'm going to look you up. We just have to organize our big travel schedules so that either I know when you're in my area or I'm in your area and we'll coordinate that. But if people want to connect to you, what's the... What's the best way to just connect to you or stay checked in? You have favorite yeah, social think, channel or? Uh, well, you can always go on my LinkedIn and it's Lauren Stewart. You just Google it. You're going to find IMDB. Don't go there. <laughs> you're going to horror, horror film site or something, but go over to uh, LinkedIn and you can always connect with me there and I'll, I'll uh, be able to connect with you. Just identify that you were part of social Jack and then I'll make sure that, that I, uh, I connect with you. Good. Uh, That's so good. Yeah, and thank you so much for your uh, for your leadership and your sharing and teaching for us out here uh, as we're all striving to become better leaders, uh, myself included. And uh, just want to tell you how much I appreciate your friendship and your contribution to helping us all become better. Thanks, Dean. It was an honor. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. We invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.